0: Welcome to MMA on the Rock. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to the 100th episode of the podcast, or you're watching it on YouTube. It was June the 30th, 2016. It started with a six-pack and a bottle of bourbon, and now here we are, two years and 100 episodes later, coming off of International Fight Week. Two thousand eighteen and what better way to do it than to have live in studio my co-host from day one, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, are you having an enjoyable trip here in the Sunshine State, my friend?
1: Of course, Bill. It's always a good time when I come see you and the family. You know, we've had some fun, we've had pulled the pork, we've had An awesome week of fights. Bill, let's jump right into it.
0: Yeah, three days in a row of MMA. And what has accompanied us through many of the MMA cards over the last couple of days. For a special episode, a special bottle of scotch. Lagavulin. 16-year scotch whiskey. Jeff, do you want to explain how this whiskey came about and came to be Part of our 100th episode here today.
1: So, Bill, this actually happened as kind of a joke because I watched this TV show called Parks and Recreation and one of my favorite characters, Ron Swanson, he reminds me of you, Bill, super handy, you know, a real tough guy, a real a man's man is what Ron Swanson is. Sounds and, accurate. Yeah, and then it turns out that the actor is like that in real life. He likes woodworking, he you know, has his own woodworking business, and he's always drinking Lagavulin on the show, and then in an interview, it turns out that that is actually his favorite scotch, and it is made on the Isle of Islay, which is an island off the coast of Scotland, and Bill, this is just phenomenal stuff, man, it's like drinking silk, this is (laughs) 16 years.
0: Well, here's to 100 episodes, my friend. And we have at least 100 more. And cheers to everybody who's listened to at least one of these 100 episodes. And uh, down the hatch, my friend. It really is a silky smooth scotch. Well put, my friend. I've trained you well. Uh, it, it goes down real easy. It's got a little burn on the back end. It's very peat heavy. So if you're not a fan of smoky flavors, you may not be into this. Uh, it's it's mellowed for sixteen years in oak casks, so it gets that real woody flavor to it. Not a whole lot of sweetness. It's very full bodied, so it's like it's like the milkshake of whiskeys. Uh, it's a nice sipper. Goes really well with a hand rolled cigar, and goes even better with a weekend of MMA action, which is what we used it to accompany this weekend. So. I want to start from the top and work our way backwards. We built up the Professional Fighters League big time. They put on an excellent card uh, on Thursday night. And we had the Ultimate Fighter finale Friday night, which was quasi-disappointing, I would say, uh, uh, with the exception of a couple of fights there, but we'll get into that. So let's start at the very top. Let's start with history that was made just a couple of hours ago, UFC 226, headlined by heavyweight champion Stipe Miochik, who many regard as the greatest heavyweight of all time, defended his, or put his heavyweight championship on the line against light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier. And history was made, Jeff. DC got the job done. What was your reaction right when it happened, when DC put Stipe away last night?
1: So, Bill... They were clinched up, and I think this was one of the bad moves of Stipe's strategy. They're clinched up, and DC turns into a right hand. It was a right handed uppercut. He turned into it, produced a lot of power from a really short distance, and just dropped Stipe. Then he's standing over him, lands two punches, the referee calls it. My reaction was, oh shit. <laughs> I couldn't believe, like, it, it, it. even now as we're talking about it, it felt like a dream. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it actually happened. It, it took me a little bit to process, but, Bill, we have a new heavyweight champion, and I think that Daniel Cormier has exorcised the demons of not being able to beat Jon Jones. I don't care what you say about that. The guy's a record maker, man. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's hard for John Jones to stay relevant in a world where people forget so easily. And if you're constantly getting suspended, constantly getting in trouble, and you're not showing your face in the octagon, people forget. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. I mean, a lot of people have forgotten about Cain Velasquez and and how dominant he was in his prime just because he's not showing up he's out of sight out of mind so the same thing goes for john jones but i don't want to ruin dc's moment by by bringing uh bones jones into this so dc you know we knew what he was gonna do i said this a couple of days ago back on episode 99 when we were breaking down this card that the outcome of this fight would depend on stipe because you know what daniel cormier is gonna do he's gonna try and get in close close the distance and Dirty box, get you to the ground if he can. That's his game plan every time he steps in the cage. The only way Stipe was going to come out of this fight on top is if he was able to mitigate that by keeping the range, keeping DC at bay with his length, which he was doing a pretty good job at. He was circling out. uh, He was controlling the octagon. He even got DC down to the mat. Uh, which is more than a lot of people can say. I think John Jones may be the only other person to take D.C. down ever. Uh, so that that's a feather in Stipe's cap for sure. And Cormier was able to work his game. He got a, a collar tie, and he pulled Stipe in the direction of a very tight right hook with a ton of power on it. It had a lot of extra weight behind it because D.C. weighed in uh, a good 50 pounds heavier, 40 pounds heavier. Uh, than he normally does at light heavyweight. So awesome moment for Daniel Cormier. And then a uh, terrible night for Stipe, who I, I don't think loses any credit. I mean, three losses and, you know, everybody gets caught. It, it happens to the best. He still has the longest uh, title defense streak of any heavyweight in UFC history. Uh, so I don't think Stipe goes anywhere. What's next for him? I don't know. Uh, especially because the co-main event was such a letdown, but we'll get to that in a minute. So, after the fight ends, Cormier has his heavyweight championship title around his waist, and he takes the microphone from Joe Rogan, and he makes a very expected call-out of Brock Lesnar, who is sitting cage-side. Now, this infuriates hardcore MMA fans, and I, I really... I really hate to have to keep explaining why things like this are good for the sport. Uh, I do and I don't because, you know, I'm a hardcore MMA fan. I'm a purist. I love mixed martial arts and I have my idea of what it should be in a perfect world. However, in order for mixed martial arts to thrive and survive, there has to be a marketing vehicle. And you need bad guys to lure in the casual fans. Because the more casual fans watch, the more money the company makes. The more money the company makes, the better production value. The, the more the fighters will get paid. All, all the things that you want to see, uh, you can't have them unless people are promoting the fights. And I think Daniel Cormier... For the first time in his career, unfortunately, it's at the end of it. Has finally put the pieces together as to what it takes to build hype for a fight, and he brings in, you know, a, a professional wrestler who cuts a promo and curses out everybody, and and throws the microphone at the camera, and that's what he does. It's he's a professional wrestler, and a lot of people are pissed off about this, and I get it because here you have this guy who comes into the cage. During DC's moment, he acts like an asshole, but the best time to promote a fight is right after the last fight because you have everybody's eyeballs on it who's watching it. This this thing's going to be cut up. It's going to circulate YouTube. It gets all the fans pissed off at Brock Lesnar for what an asshole he is, and they go and talk about him on Twitter. And they don't even realize that all their outrage is just fueling exactly what the UFC wants. The UFC wants this heel, this bad guy, to promote fights. And I think MMA fans feel about this the way people feel about, like, they have a favorite band who's like their local band. And they go and see them all the time and they hang out with them backstage and, uh, you know, they always go see them at the local venues. And then they have a hit song and all of a sudden they're playing arenas and everybody wants to go see this band I feel like this is the way MMA hardcore MMA fans feel when when things like Brock Lesnar and CM Punk and and I'll put Kovey Covington in there and Chael Sonnen and Conor McGregor when things like this come around this is how MMA fans get they don't want you know their little world to be shaken up like this maybe they don't want to share it with with so many people. I know I went off on an extreme tangent here, Jeff, but, uh, give me your thoughts on everything. I just kind of broke down there from, you know, the marketing side of my brain and why it's necessary in the sport. And also, what was your reaction when Brock Lesnar came in the cage last night?
1: So Bill, I, you know, I'm still a pro wrestling fan and I don't watch as much as I used to, but there are nuances that cross over with MMA that I love. And Honestly, Brock Lesnar, his—I guess you could call it a promo. His promo last night was better than any promo he's ever done in the WWE. It was short. It got to the point. It was uh, It was effective. It made him look like this giant asshole, dude. The setup is perfect for him to fight DC now. Mm-hmm. I love it, and I think that it's okay. Um, I think Brock Lesnar can get away with. Uh, being a pro wrestler, coming into MMA for a few reasons. One, he's proven he can fight. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a former UFC heavyweight champion. He was an NCAA champion before he was ever in the WWE. So, you know, his resume's there. It's established. It's not like a CM Punk who was like, you know what, let me give this a shot. This guy has been there before. Mm-hmm. He knows what it takes to be a champion. He's beaten legit guys like... uh mark hunt and randy Couture, even though he's like 40 pounds heavier than him uh-huh. and dude i think it's a good setup i know a lot of people don't like it but boxing does the same thing you know somebody wins a fight and then uh their next opponent is staying right outside they'll have a face-off and stuff so like you said it's mma at its core it's a great sport it's beautiful i love watching these guys Hone their craft and then be able to express it by violently beating each other. Yeah, but that doesn't sell fights. Unfortunately, you mm-hmm. gotta be able to talk the talk as well as walk the walk. And yesterday, both DC and Brock Lesnar talked the talk. We already know that they can walk. We've seen them fight before, mm-hmm. so I think that the setup is genius.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was good. Uh, it it's obnoxious and. Necessary at the same time and people say I don't want this WWE shit in MMA, but it's not really WWE shit So what the WWE is is brilliant marketing Pro wrestling is a multi-billion dollar industry for a reason And the reason is not because they put on fake fights and lots of fireworks and and loud noises and you know bright lights and things like that The reason is because they're able to evoke emotions out of people. And when you evoke emotions emotions out of people, you get people to open their wallets and pay to see things, pay to buy pay-per-views. And this is just the direction the sport is headed. It's sports entertainment at the end of the day. Now, all that being said, I had to get that off my chest just because I know a lot of people are angry about it. Now, let's talk to the purists because you can turn off all the hype that's going to build up to this fight, and just watch the fight. Here you have two of the best wrestlers to ever step into the octagon. You have a big, powerful gorilla in Brock Lesnar, and you have DC who continually throughout his career has won fights he wasn't supposed to win. He wasn't supposed to win the Strike Force Grand Prix, he wasn't supposed to win against Dipe. You know, he wasn't supposed to be a two time light heavyweight champion. Uh, but he did all those things, and now he's going to be in there for the first time with someone who may actually have better wrestling skills than him. Uh, if you look at it, if you put their statistics side by side, I mean Brock Lesnar, two-time NCAA Division One champion, uh, and he's bigger than Cormier, so. Uh, you know, even if their skills were equal, he's going to have a good 40 pounds on him when he steps in there because we know Lesnar cups weight uh, to make that heavyweight limit of 265 pounds. So you have a really intriguing fight here from an MMA purist perspective. Uh, I think it it's really going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And if you have Brock Lesnar coming out on top, you're going to piss off a lot of people, but you're also going to open up a lot of possibilities. If you have DC come out on top, you're going to have a lot of possibilities. You could have John Jones come in and challenge for the heavyweight title, which I imagine that's what the UFC wants to do once all his litigation is cleared up. Um, So the UFC is loving this. John Jones is hating this. DC is rightfully on cloud nine. I think overall it's a great thing. And... Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time on this, and we got a lot to cover. So let's move on to the uh, very lackluster co-main event. On episode 99, I kind of hinted that this fight could go one of two ways. It was going to be a quick knockout, or it was going to be two exhausted heavyweights just kind of leaning on each other, Uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, reminiscent of Kimbo Slice and Dot Off 5000, uh, where they were just so exhausted they couldn't throw punches at each other. I don't know exactly what went wrong in this fight, but Francis Ngannou threw, I believe, 17 strikes, or landed 17 strikes in this fight. Now, for someone with the power of Ngannou, uh, that could be enough sometimes. But he didn't land clean, and you know Derek Lewis was definitely the aggressor. He controlled the octagon a little bit more. He landed the more significant strikes. He had some nice kicks to the body of Ngannou I don't know if these guys just got tired Derek Lewis said his back hurt Uh, he was disappointed in his performance Uh, the back seems to be a reoccurring issue for him he thinks that he lost stock in this victory Um, we heard Dana White say some uh, very revealing things about Ngannou in the post-fight press conference he said that uh, before the Stipe fight Ngannou's ego was through the roof and uh, he had some personal altercations with him and the guy couldn't he deflated his ego was just too huge for his own good he disappeared to France before the Stipe fight and wasn't even training uh and then we all saw the results Dana White's words so what were your thoughts on the fight Jeff and then where do we go from here with these two because these are two incredible stars do we give them another chance to do this over and make it up to the fans or do we move on and give them both something else here because these are two top Contenders in a very thin division, so there's not a lot of other people to match them up with. Uh, what do you think here, Jeff?
1: Well so it's a complicated situation because the fight was. Let's be honest, it was terrible. Um, Derek Lewis did a good job of using leg kicks, mm-hmm. and you know he really controlled the octagon. Credit to him. Ingun was a tough guy, but other than that, they were moving around each other. Yeah. And I felt like I don't know what happened, but. I get I feel like Nganu hasn't mentally recovered from that loss to Stepe. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got manhandled, he got annihilated. I don't he's never been he's never looked so helpless. Yeah. as he did against Stepe Miosic. and I think that was in the back of his head. I I think that's what kept him from pulling the trigger a little bit. You know, that deflation of his ego. But luckily Brock Lesnar's back to save the heavyweight division. <laughs> Because after that fight, we need it. But, dude, I don't know what you do at this point. Do you put Stipe, who just lost the belt, against Derek Lewis, who you could argue is the number one contender right now mm-hmm. after beating uh, Ngannou, who himself was the number one contender. And as for Ngannou, I think you got to give him somebody who matches up with him a little bit more stylistically. Um, Derek Lewis was a good example, but that fight just... I don't know what happened. Um i think they respected each other's power just way too much so for Derek lewis maybe give him someone maybe outside of the rankings maybe junior albini mm-hmm. uh to just kind of maybe get his uh, legs back under him a little bit
0: yeah very possible um so you know we we have a lot of possibilities out there um it the heavyweight division is going to get a little bit muddy because Brock Lesnar just entered the USADA pool, which means it's going to be five to six months before he's cleared to fight. He's got to be tested continuously throughout these months in order uh, to be uh, reinstated in the UFC because he was unofficially retired and Uh, everything like this, all the red tape that comes with USADA. And, uh, you know, he's got to get off the the WWE muscles uh, that he's developed. Uh, (laughs) uh, So, yeah, unfortunate fight. I I think there are some interesting matchups. We'll have to circle back on this because, uh, you know, we got to put some thought into it. We still have Curtis Blades out there uh, who's hiding in the wings and and demanding a title shot and probably deserves one, but he's not going to get it. So maybe you put Curtis Blades against Stipe for a number one contender. Uh, if you think Derek Lewis isn't deserving of it, that, that would be a great fight. I would love to see that. Uh, or, you know, have Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. Another great combination. And I like your recommendation of Derek Lewis and Stipe as well. I think that's an exciting fight. Uh, but I think Stipe is going to take some time off. We're not going to see another heavyweight title fight for at least five or six months. Uh, so look for that around Christmas time, maybe the New Year's Eve uh, card uh new year's eve weekend in any case what was not a boring fight and rightfully bumped up to the main card after max holloway and brian ortega was removed paul felder who might be one of the toughest guys on the entire roster moves up in weight to take on platinum mike perry god's gift to the world (laughs) and uh (laughs) this this was a phenomenal fight i mean it's everything you would want out of an MMA fight. Two guys who fought on a napkin in the center of the ring. And they just banged the shit out of each other. And it was a bloody mess. Uh, Paul Felder came out of it with a broken arm. A mouse over his right eye. And Platinum Perry came out of it a changed fighter, I think. Since moving to Jackson Wink MMA. We wouldn't know if he would you know find new discipline there. Because you can't teach discipline. You know, they could give him game plans and everything like that, but he's got to get his shit together uh, and, you know, stop the partying and everything like that. It didn't seem like he had done that since he was out drinking tequila with John Jones his first week there, but we saw a very changed Mike Perry. He was very composed. He was patient. He picked his shots. Uh, he didn't overexert himself, but he was still had that barbaric energy, and uh, Paul Felder gave it right back to him, but... You know, Felder got into the brawling a little bit more than he should have. He was trying to get land some spinning attacks. It looked like he broke his right arm sometime at the end of the first round with one of those spinning attacks. What, was, what were your thoughts about this fight, Jeff?
1: Dude, it was super entertaining. Uh, I think Paul Felder gave a great effort in his first fight at 170. But dude, Mike Perry looked super, super improved from his last couple of fights. He was patient, but still aggressive. You know, he was picking his shots. He was... Uh, showing head movement, he wasn't gonna just stand there and trade with Paul Felder. He knew that because that wasn't gonna work. Mm-hmm. He was throwing a couple more leg kicks uh, to slow down Felder. So overall, he looked really, really good in there, and I hope he continues with Jackson Wink um, because he's got the makings of a really, really good fighter. You know, he's just like you said; he's just got to keep his head on straight.
0: Yeah, for sure. And this is not the first time that Perry has fought. A lightweight who's moved up uh there was a couple of fights back where his opponent had pulled out for some reason same sort of thing uh, a new ufc fighter uh moved up from lightweight to take him on um and uh, i thought felder looked good you know i i think he he looks like he can fight at welterweight um but you know perry Perry style was just a little bit too much for him. But respect to Paul Felder. I'll watch that guy fight anybody. You know, he just puts it all on the line. He doesn't care if he's busted open and bloody and he's got, you know, golf balls growing out of his forehead and he's got a broken hand. He keeps coming forward. Uh, and you have to respect a guy like that. So uh, all of you who are pissed off about the Brock Lesnar thing, you got to be a fan of Paul Felder who gets it in there and and puts on a show every single time, even though he keeps getting screwed and opponents pulling out and all this mess that happened. We went over this on the last episode, uh, how this fight came to be. Uh, But it was great, and I I think there's a lot of possibilities for for Perry going forward in this division. There's a lot of interesting matchups for him. Uh, You know, Robbie Lawler comes to mind. Uh, He's coming off a loss, and... Uh, you know, recovering from knee problems, but I think those two would be a great matchup because Lawler may have the composure to counter uh, Perry's style, but he's also at the tail end of a, a legendary career. So uh, I think that might be a, a good match to make. Moving on, uh, kind of a lightweight fight. Uh, <laughs> Michael Chiesa, who missed weight. Uh, To take on Anthony Pettis, this fight was supposed to happen a couple of months ago, but you know the Conor McGregor Dolly incident put it off because Chiazza got some glass in the face, and I guess he, you know, swallowed his emotions about that with a lot of pizzas, and uh, (laughs) and he missed weight. And you know he's a big guy for this division. We saw a video of him kind of sparring with Francis Ngannou, and they looked about the same size. I never realized he was such a big dude, Uh, and. A lot of people still calling for that 165 pound division, which I think would be a great move for the UFC. Just make 170, 175, and make the weight classes all 10 pounds apart. Get rid of flyweight, and we'll just uh, <laughs> we'll add a few other <laughs> we'll add a few other weight classes in there. I think this solves a lot of problems. In any case, I think Pettis had a great attitude. He said, "Of course, I took the fight. I didn't think twice about it. I've missed weight myself, so I couldn't really say anything about it." Uh, I wanted to get back in there. I wanted to prove, you know, I'm back to my old ways. I think I was too caught up in wrestling and, you know, trying to become something I wasn't. I have to go back to my roots: aggressive striking and submissions off my back. And that's exactly what he did. He looked like he got a little overwhelmed on the feet. Chiesa had a great game plan out of the gate, where he smothered Anthony Pettis, and we know that's the game plan. That's the blueprint to beat Anthony Pettis these days. However, Pettis was resilient. You know, it it looked like it was going to be a dominant performance by Chiesa early in that first round. And, uh, you know, Pettis goes for a guillotine, and he doesn't get it. He kind of slips out. I think he kind of jumped the gun on it. He jumped a little too soon, and that's dangerous to bring a big guy like Chiesa uh, on top of you on the ground. But he transitioned to a triangle, uh, expertly done. I think we saw the old Anthony Pettis uh, return, but... He did go through some rough waters in the beginning of that fight, uh, which the old Anthony Pettis would not have. So uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff?
1: Dude, super impressed with Anthony Pettis. Glad he's back in the wind column. Very exciting fighter. And I like that he's sticking to what got him to the dance, mm-hmm. you know. Um, his dynamic striking, you know, he can work better from distance. And that's part of the reason why when you smother him, He has a hard time. But also, he was working really well off his back, which he's known for. So I think that he was able to counter the wrestling really well with just his really slick jujitsu, And I want to see more of that, you know. Um, And I think the wrestling can be worked in there. Um, He's already got grappling experience. Uh, But I think the wrestling will come... But he can't ignore the other stuff either. That's super important. Yep. And it's what made him a champion in both the WEC and the UFC.
0: For sure. And I'm still only 31 years old. So, uh, But in probably the most stacked division out there, uh, I, I think he needs to make an interesting call out to stand out. Um, and he made a good point also in, the um, in a post-fight interview yesterday. He said it's not... How many wins you have in a row, it's how impressive your wins are. And I think that's a great statement. It kind of aligns with the Professional Fighters League. It doesn't matter how many fights you win, you have to do it impressively. You have to win in the first round to rack up those points. And in the UFC, there's no point system, but there is kind of an unspoken system of, you know, if you're a boring fighter, you're not going to be rewarded for it. If you're an exciting fighter, you will be rewarded for it Uh, in terms of, you know, monetary bonuses. And you know, standings, uh, you know, we kind of ignore the rankings in this sport. Obviously, Brock Lesnar's coming off the bench to fight Daniel Cormier. I know I'm pissing a lot of people off uh, <laughs> continually bringing this up, but it just it's just so relatable to every point I'm trying to make here. So another point that was made was by Khalil Roundtree Jr., who knocked out Gokhan Saki. So Gokhan Saki, for those of you who are wondering why this guy is on the main card of UFC 226 with a record of 1-1 in MMA, it's because this guy is a world-class kickboxer. World champion. Dominant. Go watch some of his highlight reels on YouTube. You're going to see some wild, wild striking. And Khalil Roundtree did exactly what he was supposed to do. Straight punches right down the pipe. Connected with a straight left right on the bridge of the nose, and dropped one of the best strikers uh, walking the earth right now. Uh, What did you think about Khalil's performance here, Jeff?
1: Very impressed with Roundtree. I thought he was going to struggle on the feet. Like you said, Saki, super tough, um, very dominant as a kickboxer, and Roundtree took it to him. He was in his face. He wasn't letting him get space to get combinations going, so I thought it was the right strategy, and... I think Roundtree definitely made a statement like you said it's about who you beat not just how many people you beat and I think Roundtree made a very loud statement last night
0: yeah he's got a nice highlight reel knockout uh under his belt and Roundtree's a guy who always fights with a chip on his shoulder even after the win he still seemed angry I think because people count him out people doubt him uh and you know they don't Maybe he feels like people think he doesn't deserve to be there. I think he definitely proved that he does. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what's next for him. And Dana White did say that he will give Gokansaki Saki another fight. Um, I'm okay with that. I don't care that the guy has a losing record in MMA. Uh, He he brings something special to the cage. He has a ferocity and an attitude about him. uh, And he definitely has the pedigree uh, to to deserve another shot you know maybe put him on a fight pass prelim or something but i'm definitely tuning in to see this guy fight he's always exciting and like i said go check out a highlight reel of this guy on youtube uh unbelievable uh kickboxer so jeff i want to kind of breeze over the rest of the card because we have so much to talk about uh so we have uh uriah hall and costa who had a very heated fight they seem to not like each other costa you know, giving Hall a couple of low blows throughout the course of this fight, he punched him in the dick, uh, <laughs> which <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how this even happens. Like, why are you swinging so low? Um, but very heated between these two. Then we had Rafael Sansao and Rob Font, uh, very com- uh, very uh, great performance for Sansao there. Lando Venata and Dracar Close, which I thought would be the fight of the night. Uh, still, you know pretty interesting fight and a great performance by by close in my opinion and then we had millender and max griffin so out of those prelims uh which one jumps out to you the most let's just cover one of them here
1: all right um definitely millender and griffin was really really entertaining but i think i'm gonna give this one to uh uriah hall and costa just because they were in each other's faces they were everything they were throwing was being thrown with the intention of finishing the fight. And Costa was the one who did that. So Uriah Hall looking great, but I think Costa just had a little too much in his locker for him.
0: Yeah, Paolo Costa... (laughs) the eraser and uh, somebody keeps making like these pictures where (laughs) every time he beats an opponent they they erase the opponent (laughs) i I don't know where this comes from but uh i was saying last time you know uriah hall is kind of always brought in against these undefeated or these young up-and-coming fighters and then he plays a spoiler sometimes and you know maybe he could have it it seems like he gets fouled a lot in his fights. And I don't know if that's because he's talking a lot of trash. He doesn't seem like a trash talker or, or what the case is, but there always seems to be something going on, some kind of drama in the cage with Uriah Hall. And uh, w- one of the toughest guys on the roster. You know, we've seen him knocked almost dead. I saw it uh, live and in person in Japan when he fought Kagar Musasi and was almost knocked out cold in the first round, came back uh, with a spinning wheel kick and, and knocked Musasi out in, a, in the second round. Um. so uh I think Costa has a you know a bright future here and this is a a division that's also got a lot of drama a lot of uh, bottlenecking at the top and we're gonna see what's gonna happen but speaking of the middleweight division it was announced that champion Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum are gonna be coaching against each other on the next season of the ultimate fighter I don't know how I really feel about that because it seems like they're not going to cause any drama. There would have to be like some really good fights like there was on season 27. And even then, I don't know if this really appeals to me or if it's even worth talking about. Do you have any opinion on this, Jeff?
1: Yeah, this is probably going to be a pretty dry season in terms of pranks and stuff. I don't see Gashulam or Whitaker as being the type of guy to, you know, throw their junk out in front of the other so, <laughs> you know, like we saw with uh, Steep and DC. Uh, but if they do fight each other at the end of the season for the belt, that's definitely going to be entertaining, and I'm looking forward to breaking down that as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, so uh, let's put UFC 226 to rest for now. Uh, I think, you know, any other week we could probably dive a little deeper into those prelims, but there's w- so much to cover. So let's move on to the Tough 27 finale. And... I want to start not at the top of the card i want to start with the fight of the night in my opinion and that was gerald meershardt and oscar pechota so pechota was undefeated coming into this fight he was very dominant in the first round almost put meershardt away a couple of times and then meershardt comes back in that second round and ends up getting a really slick submission Uh, over a guy who's very well-rounded and should be a highly-touted prospect, uh, rightfully so, in this division. Uh, So what were your thoughts on, uh, you know, the curtain-jerker, so to speak, uh, of the tough finale here, Jeff?
1: Bill, this was my favorite fight, I think all weekend, I want to say, except for maybe that uh, Paul Felder and uh, Mike Perry fight. But, dude, uh, Oscar Piacotta. Looked super strong coming out You know, tough dude And he had Mearshart on the ropes I thought maybe he could finish Mearshart And Mearshart was able to work on the ground really well And come back and submit him uh, To finish that fight Um, Great performance for both of these guys I'm excited to watch them get back in there again
0: Yeah, for sure And I think, you know, maybe an appropriate next step Would be to have Mearshart and Uriah Hall I think that's an interesting fight uh you know mirchard has some solid stand-up and some really slick jujitsu uriah hall tough to get to the ground uh you know coming off a loss to a young up-and-coming fighter uh, i think they're kind of crossing paths uh some point down the line uh mirchard, a guy that we've been high on for a long time i think he you know he's hit some speed bumps but you know in my opinion a really strong fighter and and really entertaining he always puts on great fights uh, you know, even in his losses against Thiago Santos, for example, uh, it was an exciting fight. Then he got knocked out, but uh, it was entertaining. I, I think uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his. And I, if you if you missed this fight because there was so much MMA action this weekend, so if you just said oh, I'm not going to watch the prelims of the tough finale, go back and watch this one: Gerald Meershart and Oscar Peciota. So uh, let's dive into. The actual card. So let's start at the top and kind of skip around from there. More middleweights here. Brad Tavares and Israel Adesanya. So Adesanya, you know, one of the biggest hyped newcomers uh, in the past year or so. Uh, He's got, I don't know, 100 or something kickboxing matches under his belt. And, you know, he showed a little bit of diversity in his game against... Uh, a grizzled veteran in Brad Tavares who possibly took the first round of this fight, but then it was all Adesanya for the rest of the fight. He has some very creative striking, and Tavares just didn't know what to do with him. A uh, couple of times he did go for takedowns, he couldn't finish them, he wasn't changing levels, and I think it was because he was worried about the knees and the elbows of Adesanya. He didn't want to try and shoot low to get him to the ground. So uh, I think Adesanya <coughs> showed uh, d- new layers to his game. He had a good performance. Uh, I don't think it was worthy of the bonus that he got necessarily, but, uh, you know, the kid looks good. What do you think, Jeff?
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't think if, that it was deserving of a fight bonus, but he did look great in there. Um, he was able to fight from range by using his uh, his crazy style. And obviously in the clinch, super strong with knees and elbows. But, Bill, the thing that impressed me most was his grappling. He was able to defend the takedowns really well. When he did get taken down, he popped right back up. And, Bill, even at the end of that fight... He was trying to go for a guillotine from the top. That's not something you just learn overnight. So he's definitely been working on this.
0: True story. A guillotine in general is not something you just learn overnight. I can attest to this. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he looked good. even went for an Iminari roll at the end of uh, the second round, I believe, uh, which is a highly advanced jujitsu move, rolling uh, underneath your opponent for a leg lock. Uh, granted, he did it with, like, nine seconds left, so he didn't put himself in too much danger. But... You know it looked good. So uh, interesting to see what's next for him. Uh, maybe Costa. I think uh, Ooh, <laughs> I think I... that's a fun fight, and I think uh, uh, I think it should be made. So, like that. Uh, so one of the most awkward fights of the weekend, and probably of all time, was the <laughs> <laughs> lightweight matchup between Michael Trezano and Joe Giannetti for the Ultimate Fighter winner in the lightweight division. This fight was just bizarre. They wound up in positions that I've never seen. Uh kind of like a like a reverse 69 body triangle uh clusterfuck and then at the end of the second round they were just they they were just like pounding each other's asses with their fists and how they got into this position I can't describe to you. Uh, my many years of martial arts experience does not equip me to describe what happened in this fight. Give me your reaction, Jeff.
1: Yeah, Bill. Uh, the grappling started off pretty interesting, and then at the end of the first round, they were kind of just stuck there, and they were okay being there, which I, which I guess I understand from Trezano, because um, he was on top. But then he started elbowing Genetti's butt, and it was just it was weird. I didn't understand it. Neither neither man was making any effort to improve their position. And I felt like the ref should have stood them back up. I don't know why he didn't. Um, maybe because of how active Trezano was being. But overall, very boring fight. I think we can move on.
0: Yeah, So, but luckily, the savior of The Ultimate Fighter uh, Season 27 was the lightweights, Jay Cuccinello and Brad Catona. Uh, who were both very good on the show. Uh, they were both undefeated, obviously, coming into the season. Jay Cuccinello lost, and then he was brought back to replace an injured fighter and and uh, knocked out his opponent to, to get into the, uh, or won a decision over his opponent to, to get into the finale against uh, a very uh, technical fight. And, and Brad Katona really showed off how well-rounded he is uh, with a, a very dominant performance over a tough guy in Jay Cuccinello uh, What were your thoughts on this one Jeff?
1: Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent Cuccinello tough guy came out strong in the first round I think he won that first round and then Brad Katona woke up because he came out a totally different fighter in the second round. He was uh, mixing it up in his exchanges on the feet and then able to combine that with his grappling to take Cuccinello down and keep him on the ground Uh, For a long time, he had a lot of control time Even just looking at the stats It's about 8 minutes 16 seconds of control time And all of that was on the ground So good fight from both of these guys I think that both of them have really bright futures Um, This definitely uh, Was a very Very good final fight
0: Yeah, for sure Uh, uh, The only other fight I want to bring up From this main card Is uh, Roxanne Montefiore and Barb Honchak uh, I thought it was a great performance from Montefiore. She really showed advancement in her striking skills and was able to put Barb Honchak away uh, fairly easily. Uh, give me your reaction to this one, Jeff.
1: Yeah, dude, and this was something uh, we mentioned in the build-up to this fight, is that Ferry's really been working on her striking and improving that department. And it showed, uh, what was this, Friday night? She definitely showed it. Uh, she's becoming a really more of a well-rounded fighter. So I'm interested to see what's next for her. Maybe uh, she moves up a little bit in the rankings, takes on someone for a title eliminator for uh, the 125-pound belt.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then uh, let's jump to the prelims here. There's nothing else I want to touch on on the main card unless you do, Jeff. Uh, Montana De La Rosa getting the submission victory over uh, Rachel Ostovich, uh, <clears throat> Ultimate Fighter alumni. And um, what, what were your thoughts on this performance by De La Rosa, Jeff, getting the submission late in the fight here?
1: Yeah, I was impressed. Both of these girls, very well-rounded, very good grapplers. And I was surprised. I thought that um, Ostovich would be a little bit better equipped for uh, De La Rosa's grappling. But uh, she synced in a really nice armbar and never gave up on it, was able to cinch that uh, submission victory. Yep.
0: Yeah. For sure. Good performance. So, looking up and down the card here, anything else you want to touch on before we move on to the PFL?
1: Just one more fight, and that's Pena versus Smullen, which was also on the prelims. And (laughs) Luis Pena, unfortunately, had to leave uh, the competition of the Ultimate Fighter. He was still in the house, but uh, he broke his foot or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he was out of competition. He was super upset, and he was able to really rally his team around him. Uh, for each other and to be able to continue winning and get to the finals. And, dude, um, I was a little disappointed to see that he left because he was very dominant against Richie Smullen, was able to submit him in that first round. And I think that um, if, barring any injuries, I think this dude has a really, really interesting match. a couple matchups coming up.
0: Yeah, for sure. Outstanding performance by violent Bob Ross. Uh, and yeah, it's unfortunate he didn't get to show all of his skills on The Ultimate Fighter, but it's fortunate that not a lot of people watched this season of The Ultimate Fighter, and uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people probably miss these prelims as well, but I think Pena proved that he deserves to be in the UFC, and I think he'll get his chance uh, to show off his skill. He's got you know, a, a unique look and personality, uh, and I think he'll be back on a main card probably very soon on a fight night or something like that so if you missed the tough finale definitely check out the Cuccinello and Katona fight and definitely check out those early pre- prelims uh, Mearshart and Peixota uh, one of the best fights of the weekend if not the best fight of the weekend awesome comeback by Gerald Mearshart so uh, log on to your UFC fight pass or somewhere else on the internet and check that fight out so last thing we're going to cover today Jeff And that is the Professional Fighters League. And we've been giving this a lot of attention on the show, I think rightfully so. If you haven't been checking them out, you have to get into the Professional Fighters League. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details, but they have a point system and it's a tournament. The winner of the tournament wins a million dollars. We've seen some upsets of some UFC veterans. Uh, We've seen some very unknown fighters have very outstanding performances. And that's what happened in the main event on Thursday night's Professional Fighters League 3, where UFC and Strike Force veteran uh, grappling legend Jake Shields lost to Ray Cooper. And I don't know if you know this, Jeff. Jake Shields fought Ray Cooper's father. We know this because Jake Shields looked it up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, man, Bill, I think that's a testament, though, to how many fights Jake Shields has had. You know, he's been around the block a few times, awesome fighter. But, Bill, what happened uh, Thursday night?
0: Yeah, so Jake Shields, I think we saw a fighter who has been passed by uh, by this game. Uh, he's been competing heavily in the grappling world, but grappling is not MMA. And here's a guy who we've seen taken overhand right from Dan Henderson and come back to win the fight and uh i use that example time and time again when talking about this fight and here he loses to a fighter who's uh, you know relatively unknown you and i had to look him up um apparently his father was an mma fighter back in the day and uh you know it's sad to see this happen uh but unfortunately it's part of the sport where you see these guys who you idolize uh at during parts of their career and in their prime and then they take some time off and try to come back and think that they're going to pick up where they left off and it's just not the case now maybe ray cooper is just an unknown talent out of hawaii that we haven't been exposed to yet only time will tell as we watch this tournament progress but jake shields had to be one of the heavy favorites going into this definitely uh one of the bigger names on the entire pfl roster i don't know if he'll be back or not or what his story is where his head's at uh after taking this loss but uh knocked out uh i believe in the second round by cooper and uh unfortunate but good performance by ray cooper and uh you know people know who he is now or at least anybody who's been watching this so uh any other thoughts on this main event jeff
1: yeah dude Cooper's striking looked crisp it looked technical And he, you know, he took out a a big name in Jake Shields, so good for him. And we'll see if, you know, if it's just an aging Jake Shields who maybe uh, is in the twilight of his career or if Ray Cooper is the real deal. But I'm excited to find out.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then in the co-main event, cousin of Khabib Nurmagomedov, Abubakar Nurmagomedov, uh, taking a submission loss to Pablo Kush. So, <clears throat> we had, uh, you know, it, it was a very good fight. And, you know, very rare to see one of these Dagestani wrestlers uh, submit, tap out. Uh, I would have thought for sure that he would have gone unconscious to the choke. But, <clears throat> you know, uh, credit to Pablo Kush getting the tap, getting the five points for submitting in round two. And uh, he looked good doing it. Thoughts on this one, Jeff?
1: Yeah, dude, um... You know, Pablo Kush, very, very tricky on the ground, was able to get on Nermagamadov's back and just gave him a really, really tough night. Really tight squeeze on that rear naked
0: choke. For sure. All right, so UFC veteran Rick the Horror Story <coughs> taking three points in the unanimous decision win over Yuri Villafort. Uh, story looked decent there, although <coughs> he did have his struggles. Uh, in, in this fight uh, uh, You know Villefort gave him a run For his money For sure He didn't walk in there And just trounce him I think like he expected to But Rick Story Has had a long time off So he's another one Who You know He had some success In the UFC Took some time off And you know Didn't pick off Where he left off But he had a better night Than Jake Shields did uh, That's for sure So uh, Another UFC veteran Who had a bad night Eddie Truck Gordon he was Losing a uh, unanimous decision to Shamil Gamzatov. Uh, so, Truck Gordon, I was saying, um, I thought he never really showed his full potential in the UFC, <clears throat> but um, I guess he's not going to show it in the Professional Fighters League either. A UFC veteran who did have a good night, uh, John Howard, with a submission of uh, another Russian submitting. Who would have thought? Two Russians submitting in the same card. Uh, so, second round submission... Uh, for John Howard over Ghassan Umalatov, and that was a great fight. Uh, this was a really solid card, <clears throat> and the production value is great. Uh, I don't think we need to get into anything else here, but I'm excited for the rest of these PFL events. I know some of them are coming uh, in your neck of the woods very soon, Jeff, and you're planning on checking them out in person. I definitely recommend to everybody <clears throat> to, uh, to follow the Professional Fighters League. You know, now we have a ranking standings so you can go in and see who's ranked where and there's actually logic to it you know it's based on not only uh how many fights you won but what round you won them in so there's a very clear picture of who's ranked where and why and i think that solves a problem for a lot of people because people are always complaining about the rankings why is this guy ahead of this guy now you know exactly why this guy's ranked ahead of the other guy because he has more points and Simple as that. Uh, And you're punished for not making weight. You don't qualify to win points. Even if you win your fight, you get zero points if you miss weight. Uh, This is my favorite part about the Professional Fighters League. Uh, Any other thoughts about this, Jeff?
1: No, I think it's an interesting setup. And, you know, in August, the Professional Fighters League is going to be in Atlantic City. So hopefully tickets are affordable. I mean, they should be. There's plenty of empty seats in this car, unfortunately. Um, But... I'm going to try and bring some friends to film up, Bill.
0: Awesome. Do it. Yeah, uh, not not too many people in the stands for PFL 3. And uh, if any of the production crew is listening, don't pan the crowd if there's no crowd. (laughs) We don't need to see that. So, Jeff, last thing that I know you wanted to bring up and I didn't. We got a trilogy fight possibly in the making. Why don't you tell the people about it, Jeff? So,
1: for those of you listening and watching at home, if you don't know already, Tito Ortiz is going to get it on again with Chuck Liddell. And, you know, um, this is not going to be a rubber match because a rubber match would mean that each fighter has beat the other fighter once. But, unfortunately, Tito Ortiz has been knocked out twice by Chuck Liddell. I mean, Bill... This is, this is like a train wreck, man. I mean, it's horrible, it's awful, there's going to be a lot of blood lost, but I don't think I'll be able to look away. And Bill, who is putting this on? Who is crazy enough to do this after two retired fighters?
0: Oscar De La Hoya.
1: Yeah, I. so I. he's just trying to piss off Dana White. I don't think he was too happy that uh, Dana White and Conor McGregor helped put on the mcgregor mayweather fight so i guess this is his way of getting back at them but bill i don't think it's gonna work out
0: yeah i i don't really see this coming together i mean man a responsible athletic commission wouldn't even sanction this fight uh i don't want to see this you know i've already had You know, Chuck Liddell is one of these guys that got me interested in MMA. And and I think a lot of people in, in my generation feel the same way because he had the look. He knocked people out. He was an awesome fighter. He invented, like, the sprawl and brawl strategy. You know, he was a great wrestler, but he never used it. He only used it in reverse to stay standing and strike with his opponents. He fought anybody even when he was in the UFC and the champion, he went over to Japan and fought in pride and lost and came back and he got right back in there and he would go back and fight guys that knocked him out. Um, I've already seen the heartbreak, uh, you know, when a fighter like that reaches the end. And we saw it for Chuck Liddell. He was knocked out by Rashad Evans brutally, he was knocked out by Rich Franklin brutally. Uh, and you know Dana White pulled a plug on his career and you know he helped him out he gave him a, a desk job and and you know kept his face around the the business for a while until it was sold to Wme and then they let Liddell go I get it I get that competitive spirit but I don't need to see this and that's why I'm so mad at myself because I'm gonna watch it <laughs> if it happens <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to need a lot of alcohol to enjoy it. And Jeff, we've had a lot of drinks on this show. We've had a lot of laughs. We've had a lot of fight discussions. We've had some debates. We've had some disagreements. For the most part, we get along. I want to say cheers to you. Thanks for being my co-host for 100 episodes.
1: Bill, cheers to you because, you know, it never gets boring And, you know, I know we say this all the time, but it is true. And if one of us ever got arrested and the (laughs) courts went through our phones, they'd see a butt-ton of texts about MMA and whatever we're watching and drinking.
0: Yeah, and probably some very inappropriate things that would not allow either of us to run for political office ever. But in any case...
1: (laughs) Just don't get arrested (laughs) anytime soon, Bill.
0: Here's to 100 episodes, my friend. Cheers, Cheers to all of you listening out there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for leaving reviews. Thanks for interacting uh, interacting with us on social media. If you want to get a hold of either of us, it's at Animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the Rocks everywhere on social media. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking out there. And cheers to 100 episodes. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.